Chapter One Ninety Five of Varney the Vampire, Volume Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julie Bynum. Varney the Vampire, Volume Three by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter One Ninety Five. The Vampire has serious thoughts. The dream, the resolution. The next day after the events that we have detailed, Varney found himself in a hotel in London. He did not even make the effort to inquire how the affair connected with the Lady Annetta, in which towards the last he had played a generous part, prospered. He was too spirit-broken himself to do so. For nearly the whole day he remained in a room by himself, and although to avoid uncomfortable and ungracious remarks being made by the people of the house he ordered from time to time food and wine, he, in accordance with his horrible nature, which forbade him any nourishment but human blood, touched neither. During that day he seemed to be suffering acutely, for now and then, as the waiters of the hotel passed the door of the private room he occupied, they heard deep agonizing groans, and when once or twice they went in, fancying that he must be very ill or dying, they found him seated at a table on which his head was resting. He would start up on these occasions, and sternly question them for interrupting him, so at last they left him alone. Let us look at him in his solitude. It is getting towards the dim and dusky hours of late twilight, and he can only barely be descried, as he sits bolt upright in a high-backed armchair, looking at vacancy, while his lips move, and he appears to be conversing with the spirits of another world, that in their dim untangibility are not visible to mortal eyes. Now and then he would strike his breast, and utter a dull groan, as if some sudden recollection of the dreadful past had come over him, with such a full tide of horror that it could not be resisted. It was not until a considerable time had elapsed, and the darkness had greatly increased, that he at length spoke. And I was once happy, he said mournfully, once happy because I was innocent. Oh, gracious heaven, how long am I to suffer? A spasmodic kind of movement of his whole features ensued, that was quite dreadful to look upon, and would have terrified any one who could have seen them. Then he spoke again. I was happy one hundred and eighty years ago, he said, for that has been the awful duration of my life as yet. Yes, a hundred and eighty years have, with their sunshine of summer and their winter storms, passed over my head, and I had a wife and children who, with the innocent and gladsome prattle, would climb my knee and nestle in my bosom. Oh, where are they all now? He wrung his hands, but he did not weep the fount of tears that had dried up for a hundred years in his bosom. Yes, yes, the grave holds them. Holds them, said I. No, no, long since have they crumbled into dust, and nothing of them remains as a faint indication, even of who once was human. I, I it was who listened to the counsels of a fiend, and destroyed he, her, who had given up home, kindred, associations, all for me. He rose up from the chair, and seemed to think that he would find some relief in pacing the room to and fro, but he soon threw himself again into the seat. No, no, he said, no peace for me, and I cannot sleep. I have never slept what mortals call sleep, the sleep of rest and freedom from care. For many a long year, when I do seem to repose, then what dreadful images awake to my senses! better, far better, than my glaring eyeballs should crack with weariness, 
than that I should taste such repose. The sympathetic shudder with which he uttered these words was quite proof sufficient of his deep and earnest sincerity. He must indeed have suffered much before he could have given such a sentiment such an utterance. We pity thee, Varney. And when, oh, when will my weary pilgrimage be over? he ejaculated. Oh, when will the crime of murder be cleansed from my soul? I killed her. Yes, I killed her who loved me. A fiend, I know it was a fiend, whispered suspicion in my ear. Suspicion of her who was as pure as the first ray of sunlight that from heaven shows itself to chase away the night. But I listened and then created from my own fevered brain the circumstances that gave suspicion strength and horrible consistency, and I killed her. After the utterance of these words he was silent for a time, and then in heart-rending accents he again repeated them. I killed her, I killed her, and she was innocent. Then I became what I am. There was a period of madness, I think, but I became a vampire. I have died many deaths, but recovered from them all. Forever, by some strange accident or combination of circumstances, the cold moonbeams have had access to my lifeless form, and I have recovered. By this time the landlord of the hotel in which Barney was staying had got in a fearful fidget, for he began to think that he had a madman in his house, and that it would turn out that his guest had made his escape from some lunatic asylum. I wonder now, he thought, if a little soothing civility would do any good. I will try it. It can't surely do any harm. With this intent the landlord went upstairs to the room in which Barney the vampire was, and he tapped gently at the door. There was no reply, and after a few moments' consideration the landlord opened the door and peeped in, when he saw his customer sitting in an armchair in the manner in which we have described him to sit. "'If you please, sir,' said the landlord, "'would you not like—' "'Blood,' said Varney, rising. The landlord did not wait for any more, but bustled downstairs again with all the promptitude in his power. It was a bedroom and sitting-room that Varney occupied at the hotel, the one adjoining the other, and now, although he groaned and sighed at the idea of repose, he flung himself upon the bed, full-dressed as he was, and there he laid as still as death itself. One of those strange, fitful kind of slumbers, such as he had himself described as being so full of dread, came over him. For a time he was still, as we have said, but then as various images of agony began to chase each other through his brain, he tossed about his arms, and more than once the word mercy came from his lips in accents of the most soul-harrowing nature. This state of things continued for some considerable time, and then in his sleep a great change came over him, and he fancied he was walking in a garden replete with all the varied beauties of a southern clime and through the centre of which meandered a stream, the crystal music of which was delightfully calming and soothing to his senses. All around seemed to speak of the peace and loveliness of an Eden. As he wandered on, he fancied that some form was walking by his side, and that he heard the gentle fall of its feet and the flutter of its garments. Varney, it said, you have suffered much. I have. Oh, God knows I have. You would die, Varney, if the moonbeams could be prevented from reaching you. Yes, yes, but how, how? The ocean, the deep, deep sea, hides many a worse secret than the corpse of a vampire. It might have been that, after all, his sleep was to some extent refreshing to him, 
or that the dream he had had instilled a hope into him of a release from what in his case might truly be called the bondage of existence. But he certainly arose more calm, cool, and collected than he had been for some time past. Yes, he said, the deep sea holds a secret well, and if I could but be washed into some of its caverns, I might lie there and rot until the great world itself had run its course. This idea took great possession of him. He thought over various modes of carrying it out. At one time he thought that if he bought a boat on the sea-coast and went out alone, sailing away as far from land as he could, he might be able to accomplish his object. But then he might not be able to get far enough. At length he thought of a more feasible and a better plan than that, and it was to take his passage in some ship for any port, and watch his opportunity some night when far from land to steal upon the deck and plunge in the waves. The more he considered of this plan, the better he liked it, and the more it wore an appearance of probability and an aspect of success. So at length the thought grew into a resolution. Yes, yes, he muttered, who knows but that some friendly spirit, for the mid-air that floats twixt earth and heaven is peopled with such, may have whispered such counsel in my ears. It shall be done. I will no longer hesitate, but make this attempt to shake off the dreadful weight which mere existence is to me. End of chapter 195